Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, New Abbey, we believe in conversation. We believe in hearing from one another because we believe that God is in each and every one of us and that we learn and we grow through experience with each other. And so we just have a light philosophical existential question for you to start off with today. You'd find three to five people around you that you're comfortable with. Who am I? Enjoy. Uh, Stand up a second. Let's start here. Let's move your bodies. This will feel good. Um, this is for real. Hug yourself. Yeah, give yourself a big hug. This self that you're hugging right now is your most current updated software edition. It's your most current updated hardware edition. This self that you are hugging right now in this moment online, if you're not standing and hugging yourself, we can't see you, but God can. So stand, hug yourself. This is the self that got you here. This body, this mind, this heart, this soul, all these experiences got you here today. So let's start with a little gratitude for this being that made you get to this point. Yeah, you can clap for yourself. That feels good. Yeah, clap for you. Clap for you. You can be seated. You can be seated. I'm just joking. Stand again. No, seriously. Stay seated. Stay seated. I want to talk about identity, and as we think about identity, we're going to think about a bunch of different versions of ourselves. As we think about identity, I want to start with this definition for us from Merriam-Webster, who a person is or the qualities of a person or group that make them different from others, that your identity is unique to you, but a part of the way that you understand your identity is in juxtaposition to other people around you, that other people around you shape and influence what your identity will be. Now, when I grew up in the world of church, there was this kind of cookie-cutter idea that we were going to be in the identity of Christ, and in the identity of Christ, what it really felt like is that we all kind of looked the same. We all kind of did the same things. We all kind of talked the same way. Like everyone that I knew who was older and a pastor sounded like the Apostle Paul. And it was weird. I'm like, why are you quoting Timothy to me right now? I just wanted to know if you wanted to have Chick-fil-A, right? Um, And I think that there's been times in the church, and this is true of any church, where there's this version of one another that we think that we ought to be. And I'm hopeful that we live in a society, and I think the next generations are providing this for us, that there's no one way to be human, that kids are not going to have to come out in the next generation. They just get to be who they are. You should clap for that. I'm grateful that that's not only true culturally, but even in a faith community like New Abbey, that will be true. That again, one of the things that we do so well here is we normalize the reality that there's no normal that you are just you, and who you are is beautifully and wonderfully made, that who you are in your identity is a gift to the world. And that thing is not perfect. It's not static. I think one of the things that we've all experienced in the world of church or, or even how we identify ourselves sometimes is that we're told almost that we're static human beings. 
that we don't change, that the version of you is who you will always be. And that's not true. You are ever changing. The you that you just hugged just a little bit ago is already different than the you you are now. From a cellular level, you've had some new thoughts, you've experienced some new feelings, you've wondered, why is this man flailing his hands so much? You have gone through a lot of things. You are very different than who you were a month ago and a year ago, and that thing is a gift. And so if we're going to think about identity, I want to think about this idea of uh, transformation identity. How do we transform our identity? Because we're ever-changing and we're ever-evolving human beings. And transformation is a recognition of, yes, I have some qualities, but there are some qualities that I want to change and to be ever-evolving into someone else. Because there might be qualities that you have that, in fact, you don't like. That's okay. You're allowed to be in a place where you take two steps forward and one step back. Maybe you're in that one-step place right now that who you are as a human being is very three-dimensional. That who you are as a human being is changing with time and the experience that you have. And who you are as a human being is constantly changing by the way that you're interpreting yourself just based on the health that you have today. You may be incredibly healthy today and incredibly hopeful in the way that you see yourself and other human beings. You're very generous and gracious. You might have come in today and just F the entire world. I do not know. But what matters is, is that your identity is ever in flux, and that's a good thing. So to talk about identity, we got to talk about some things. We're going to talk about static. I guess we just did that. And then if we can talk about that, then we're going to talk about Paul. Does anyone have a weird relationship to Paul? Paul is just, right? Fascinating. Fascinating guy in the Bible. I remember reading Paul as a kid and be like, this guy's kind of an a-hole. And I would say that, and they're like, you're not allowed to say that. I'm like, I just did. I, Paul's interesting to me. Feels like he needed Freud or something like that. And that's Okay. Still wrote scripture, but he needed a therapist. Uh, self. Oh, we're going to talk about Paul, then we're going to talk about God. If we can understand God, then we can think about ourselves. And if we think about ourselves, then we can also think about others. And then we got some tools for us today. Curious, invent, and act. And then I thought about it later because I'm a good pastor, and so I should use some alliteration here. So we're talking, probably talk about what it means to be curious, to be creative, and to commit. Because, come on, I was trained, people, in the evangelical church. I need to give you something to walk away with here. Am I right? So follow along with me in the book of Acts chapter 9 as we reread a very famous story of Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that way being the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, and they heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Let's pause there a second. Again, this story is filled with these metaphors of sight. Can we see clearly who we are? Can we see clearly who God is? It's not just seeing from a physical sense, right? There's a deeper sense of seeing here. Who can see and who can't see? The Bible is filled with imagery around this idea of sight. Uh, because so much of the human experience is what we're seeing in the world and what we're taking in. And so Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. And I know you are all good readers of the Bible, so when you say three days, you think to yourselves, oh, three days where you can't see anything and you're in darkness. He's kind of referencing to Jonah there, wink, wink. Oh, three days in darkness, you can't see anything. I know a guy who was once in a tomb before he was resurrected, Jewish guy, carpenter, you know who I'm talking about, three days, right? The, it's cueing you in so that a big transformative moment is about to take place here. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, it's a good thing. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I just love that, right? The path will be straight for you. Um, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Again, all this imagery here of sight. Are we seeing our identity? Are we seeing God's identity? Are we seeing the world uh, in a different way, in a transformed way? Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, brother Saul, this is a Southern moment here, brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again, right? You're gonna see in a whole new way and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after food, he regained his strength. Now, if you've been in the world of church before, even a cultural story, this is a famous story about Saul of Tarsus who eventually becomes Paul, that Saul was the angry zealot of Judaism who was attacking these followers of the way. And it's not because uh, Paul was this horrible person, but because Paul was a normal person. And so many of us have been impassioned or very excited about the thing that we're following. Many of us in our younger days, so to speak, were zealots in some way. Many of us are still zealots today, my progressive fans out there. All right, let's get uncomfortable because that's what we are. And we get passionate about our stuff. And Paul is in the same vein, passionate uh, and angry. And the story of Paul is that he's passionate because of his identity. His identity is in a form of Judaism that he's scared, all right, in this world to have a deconstruction process happen. He's scared that other people might follow a different version of faith. He's scared that somebody else might have a different ideology. And haven't all of us been there? That we're so incredibly open-minded until we hear somebody else at the Thanksgiving table talk about a different political belief, and we have the same feelings of wanting to kill them that this is a very normal human experience. And so Paul is passionate about his version of God. Paul has been wired to see the world a certain way. And Paul has a certain experience with others around him that have formed who his identity is and the ways in which he operates in the world. Now, what's true of Paul is also true of us that there are so many things that have shaped our experience and shaped the way that we see ourselves and see others and the way that we operate in reality. Just as Laco shared her story, there are so many variables and details that make up each and every one of us and the different software edition updates that happen to us throughout our journeys. And we should be gracious in honoring those things. So I wanna go to the very end before we get to some of the parts, and the end is the tools. 
that if we are going to have a transformed ID, uh, identity, then we need to have some different tools along the way. That if we're going to have a transformed identity in who we are, then we should get curious about some things in our lives. This is the gift of deconstruction happening within modern Christianity right now. Because of the internet, because of social media, because that we live in a world where we can experience other people in different ways, there are so many systems being questioned in our world right now as they should be. And so as we get curious about things, we begin to ask better questions. In our process of curiosity, we often deconstruct before we reconstruct. We need to tear some things down before we figure out what new bricks or what other things we're going to put back together. Another tool that we take with us is that after we've gotten curious about the things that we're deconstructing in our lives, as we're thinking about the identity that we have, we should create or we should invent. Now, what I'm saying is you get to create your identity. Nobody else gets to create that for you. There was times in our lives that we were hardwired to create a sense of identity that kept us safe. That's what we did as children. We were all just given an environment, an environment we did not choose or ask for. Some of those environments were lovely and beautiful and hospitable. Some of those environments were very traumatic or difficult or as a mixing of the in-between. And there was an identity that you formed to keep you safe. And how do you know that it kept you safe? Because you're here today. And so you now have the opportunity as adults to begin to create or invent the identity that you want. That is the gift of deconstruction, that you no longer have to live into the limiting voices in this world that says, no, this is the type of person that you have to be. This is the type of God that you have to believe in. And these are the type of people that you hang out with. No, I don't. In fact, this is the type of person that I want to be. This is how I want to understand God. These are the type of people that I want to hang out with. So we can get curious in our journey. It's a tool that we can take on. We can choose to create, and then out of that, we eventually need to commit to some things because it's through commitments and through habits and through rhythms and through action that we begin to solidify this new identity that we want. And here's the beauty of this story. Five years from now, you may be hugging yourself then, and you will have committed to a different form of identity than you are today. Praise God. You're ever-evolving. You're ever-changing. You are not static, and neither is God. So let's take those tools, and let's put them on to some of the three-dimensional components that make our identity what our identity is. The first component of that, I believe, is God that if you're in this room right now, my suspicion is there's some form of God or faith system or belief that you hold true to. Or you're like, I don't know what I believe in, but there's still something, a larger meta narrative, an ideology that you're connecting with. And so for Saul, Paul, there was an identity and an understanding of God. And Paul, just like all of us, was one of the first people to deconstruct in the Bible. So whenever you hear people out there like, deconstruction is from the devil, don't do it. Like, Paul did it? right? Paul asked all the questions. Paul went through a radical transformation of how he understood God and what the world was and what scriptures were. And he literally flipped that thing upside its head and had a radically new way, a transformed way of seeing his identity and how he operated in the world. So for those of you out there who go back to those families, we're like, I don't know what kind of church you're going to. They sound very heretical. Do they even believe in the Bible? Um, You can say, we so believe in the Bible. In fact, uh, we're just like Paul. And so Paul deconstructed, 
And Paul asked all these questions about his faith and about who God is. And I think one of the big components of our identity is what do we believe? And what you believe about God is incredibly important for the framework, for the software that you have in the three-dimensional being that you are. For some of us, we grew up in a world where we believed things about God that were terrifying to us. There was a time in my life that I was just terrified of the rapture. Any good rapture fans out there? Remember those days? Did anyone have, did anyone not have the rapture? Did anyone not know what I'm talking about? Okay, you all suffered with me. That's great. Yeah. There was a version of God and a version of a story that you were given that was rooted in fear. And so your identity was rooted in fear. And we go through a deconstruction process and we recognize these stories about hell or about rapture or about eternal damnation. We're getting curious and asking larger questions of like, why are we telling five-year-olds that? That's very depressing and unhealthy, right? And probably not a good tool to use. Um, And then we go realize the fact is we get curious about things like hell or damnation or the rapture. We realize, oh my gosh, this hasn't always been a part of Christian tradition. Oh my goodness, there's been other versions of this story even within Christianity. Oh my goodness, there's other people who interpret the Bible differently about these things. Oh my goodness, the rapture is something that was created 150 years ago by John Darby during during fundamentalist Christianity during the Industrial Revolution. Wikipedia it. And as you get curious, then you begin to create a new framework for yourself. Oh, what if I don't have to believe in a version of God that leads me to fear? What if over here I get to believe in a version of God that leads me to safety? What if this God has a totally different story for me? What if in the version over here I was told that I was totally depraved, that I was so sinful, that the story starts with the fact that there is something inherently evil or wrong with you or sinful with you, and Jesus came to fix that? And then over here, I transformed that identity and that story and said, oh no, Jesus came to reclaim the image of God that I was made in. Jesus came to reclaim the good news that we're a part of. Jesus came to remind us of that gospel, that this version of theology that I was given is a thousand years old. It hasn't even been a part of the church this entire time. That as you get curious about these different components of the identity that you've been given, you will begin to create or invent, and I know some people are, terrified by that. Are we just making up things now? Uh, No, we're making choices along the way like every human being always has so that we can have the most transformed path and identity for us. And now we just have access to way more information than other human beings ever had. There's all these different components about God and what we've believed that we can now transform. You don't have to believe in an exclusive God. Did any of you ever grow up in a world where exclusivity was almost like a badge of honor? Like, we are the chosen ones, we are the holy ones, and those are the evil people over there. I see a lot of heads nodding, amen. And now you get to live into a story where it's like, no, 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 I get to believe in a God who's inclusive. I remember like early on in my college years when I said things out loud like, um, I don't really know about like this hell eternal damnation thing. And people are like, you don't think Hitler's in hell? I'm like, What if Hitler gets reconciled? Which is a bigger story of God to you? What if even the worst imaginal human being can still be restored? What if there's been a version of this thing for thousands of years in the church where they believed things like this? It's called theosis, Greek Orthodox theology, Wikipedia. I'm just giving you all the things. Go research later. It's a good opportunity if you listen to the podcast or to get onto YouTube. Um, The point is, is that throughout the history of the church, people have gotten curious 
And as they've gotten curious, they've created more robust understandings of what we believe and how we understand ourselves as human beings. And as we get curious about who God is, it begins to change our identity in self, and it begins to change our identity in how we see other people. That in a lot of the theology that we talked about over here, when it's rooted in fear, when it's rooted in exclusivity, when it's rooted in perfectionism, one, it's very stressful to ourself and to our identity and how we understand ourselves to be. And it's also very stressful for the way that we see other human beings. And the gift is that we get to transform from those realities. We get to create new realities, and then we get to commit to some things. We get to commit to being a part of faith communities like this. We get to commit to going to therapy. We get to commit to living a radical new way of Jesus in the world. That's not new, by the way. It's extremely old, but one that embraces every human being, where there's not Jew or Greek, where there's not male or female, where there's not servant or slave. Those are some of the oldest words of our liturgy but we're all just made in the image of God. And so we're gonna use those tools to re-understand what we believe about God so that we can transform into a new identity. And then we also need to transform into a new self that just like Paul, Paul believed some things about himself that later on were transformed. Paul had different versions of Paul's self along the way that he changed his thinking over time. Sometimes he had radical moments that changed his thinking, like seeing Jesus on a road to Damascus. That would probably get any of us being blind for three days. Sometimes he had other moments where he was working through things, struggling through things. Even Paul's understanding of theology evolved over time that when you read the letters of Paul, you'll read in 1 Timothy where Paul says, I think that Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. As you get into the later letters of Paul, he never mentions it again. Why? Because he evolved. Even the Bible's evolving right in front of your eyes. Even the Bible is deconstructing right in front of your eyes. It's reconstructing and it's allowing us to form a new identity an identity that grows, that matures, that heals, that is gracious to the fact that, yes, you were this version over here, and now you're this version over here, and that's okay. And if you can be okay with the different versions of yourself along the path, then here's the maturity kicker. Can you be okay with others as they transform in their versions as well? That we all need one another. Just like there's people ahead of you on this path, There are people behind you on this path. And what's very difficult in the route of maturity is that the people behind you on the path are often the people that are hurting you the most. And it's very difficult to be gracious to them because you feel like you've had so many software updates since you were back there, right? You're dealing with like an original iPhone and you're like, what is that? Does that work still, right? And you're like, you know, like what is the Model 12X? I don't know what the thing is now. Or it's like literally like, zooming in like it flies. I don't know what it does, but it's more advanced is my point. And we grow and we evolve. And that's part of the story. Here's a, here's six-year-old self, Corey. Hey, me. Six-year-old Corey had all kinds of different identities. Six-year-old Corey was told a story about God that if he didn't repent and if he didn't say Jesus's prayer that he would go to hell. Fun times. Um, And I don't say that as mocking. I'm like, that's, I really think about that now because I have small children. I'm like, what an odd story to tell your children, right? Six-year-old Corey grew up in trauma, grew up in a household where there was constant verbal and emotional abuse. Six-year-old Corey would love to stay in his room and play Legos and to be quiet with himself. 
because he never knew what was going to come through that door. He never knew that if he brought friends over, what kind of language his father would use to his mother if other people were there. Six-year-old Corey was gregarious in public because he wanted to be seen and he wanted to be known because he didn't feel like he could be seen or known at home. Six-year-old Corey had a lot of versions of God that troubled him. Six-year-old Corey had a lot of versions of self that were just six years old and he wasn't really ready to answer that because he was six, right? And six-year-old Corey had a lot of other people who shaped and influenced his life. Here's 14-year-old Corey. 14-year-old Corey was a zealot. He was excited about Jesus. This is me like a Knott's Berry Farm praise-a-thon. No joke, right? Like all night long. This is how I, w- I ushered in the millennium for Jesus. It was incredible. Um, and 14-year-old Corey has a very happy face there, but there was part of 14-year-old Corey that was angry all of the time. 14-year-old Corey had a sister who was in the throes of addiction, a cocaine addiction that lasted 10 years that eventually killed her. 14-year-old Corey worried about his two nephews every single day who were three and two, that what would happen to them if their mom went and got another hit? 14-year-old Corey was so passionate about Jesus because there was injustices going on in his own home. So he needed to make sure that other people were saved, that God was gonna be seen in God's righteousness. We all have versions of ourselves. 14-year-old Corey, I don't shame him. I don't mock him. 14-year-old Corey wanted people to know about the Lord because that's what made sense to 14-year-old Corey in that version of that software. 14-year-old Corey, three years later, would decide that I'm gonna be so passionate for Jesus that I'm gonna get rid of all of my friends in high school. I'm just gonna carry a Bible around and let people know that I'm an evangelist. That was a weird choice, not gonna lie. I got 22-year-old Corey here. This is 22-year-old Corey. Uh, My sister had just died about three months before this. I had taken my oldest nephew to New York. Uh, My world was rocked. I had a, I mean, who had camera cases on their belts, by the way? That's what 22-year-old Corey had. Do you remember those? Like, what happened to Canon? Are they a thing anymore? Like, they're just like, iPhones, we're out of here, guys. We're like Blockbuster. It's so sad. Um, 22-year-old Corey was sorting life. 22-year-old Corey had already been married a year. 22-year-old Corey had just finished college at Azusa Pacific University and had a lot of new questions about God, had a big vision for what it would mean to go into ministry, believed that I was supposed to be an evangelist, but not like Billy Graham, even though I'm with Billy Graham right here, but I wanted to see that people knew God in a different way, but I didn't know how that would work. 22-year-old Corey didn't realize that he was going through so much emotional pain that he was going to press eject on his life a few months later. 22-year-old Corey had a lot of spiritual tools, but not a lot of emotional tools. And what I realized later in life is you can only be as spiritually mature as you are emotionally mature. And I grew up in a world where you could just pray things away, but what I didn't pray away are the affairs that I'd be having a few months from this day. Because I didn't know how to deal with my life. I didn't know how to deal with my own addictions. I didn't know how to deal with my own pain. My sister would die. I'd have multiple affairs on my young wife. I would sabotage my own life, betray my values and what I believe in. And a month after that, I would file for bankruptcy. 2008 was the killer year. It was painful. Here's 23-year-old Corey. Three months, I was hired at a church. After all that happened, I was completely honest about them with everything that I had just done. And they said, we believe in you. We want to see that you're a part of a restorative process. And they gave me a slightly different version of God, where God could even handle the imperfections and everything that I had just gone through. Where have you had those moments in your life where you were on a road somewhere and you were on a path and you thought that it was no other way? You you, you thought that all your hopes and dreams were gone and somebody gave you hope, that a set of pastors in another church gave me a belief that I could still be a pastor, that even all that I had gone through, that God could still use that in some way. That was a powerful moment in my life. And here I am literally standing on top of a mountain 
um, with my hands in the air because I, just, I thought I have a second chance again. 27-year-old Corey is in Bolivia in the Amazon rainforest baptizing people in an Amazon river as one does. <laughs> and there's a, a version of me that had grown and evolved a lot here. That I was at a church where they were grooming me to be the next pastor and thousands of people were showing up and yet all of the people that I knew no longer went to church anymore. All of the people that I knew in Los Angeles no longer felt a connection to God. And I was troubled in Bolivia. Here I am baptizing people in an Amazon rainforest, but all the people that I know have left the church. That years ago, before the Liturgist podcast was a thing, before Rob Bell did his thing, before a lot of us had different experiences with other stuff, I was asking some questions of deconstruction. I was saying, man, is there a bigger version of God out there that works for everybody? What about my LGBTQ friends? How do we honestly talk about money? What would it look like that we could talk about anything in the church? What would it look like that I could stand up on stage and talk about the fact that I really am an addict? This version of myself had a lot of questions about what the church could be, about what a body of people could be. How could it look different? 27-year-old Corey was so idealistic. He didn't know anything. But thank God he had some dreams. And here's 28-year-old Corey, and this is the last one. My first kid. Changed my identity. Changed who I am and what I'm about in the world. It started this thing called New Abbey. I'd left the church of thousands, and now there was 16 people meeting in my living room. Mega church. And I was depressed because my identity was rooted in how many people came on a Sunday morning. My identity was rooted in a lot of other things. And here I was with a new kid in the world. I made no money. My wife still has to work at JPL, and I felt stressed. And these were one of the pivotal moments in my life where I had to rethink what identity was. That for each of us, we have these versions of ourselves somewhere in our past, and we should be gracious to them. We should get curious about that self and what that self learned and what that self added to us on our journey. And we should know if that self got us to that point and this self is getting us to this point. So we can either continue to react in our journeys or how can we be creators about the person that we want to invent going forward? What do I want my identity to be? Who do I want to be in the world? And we do that by declaring that in some way about ourselves. Maybe you're like Paul or Saul and you have these incredible moments. Maybe it's a longer journey or conversation that you're having with yourself. But your identity is rooted in your ability to create. No one else will shape your identity for you. There are a lot of things you will have to react to as a human being about how people are shaping your identity. But you are the one inventing it. That version of me there holding a kid, I had to make a story up in my life that says, I am going to be a good dad. I am going to offer a different narrative for my kids than the narrative that I was given. Research proves this, that when people want to quit smoking and they say things like, uh, and someone offers them a cigarette and they, they say things like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to quit, versus when person B says, I'm not a smoker, almost without fail, this is the person who quit smoking. You begin to create your identity. Is it true? It is in that moment. I am a great father. Is it true all of the time? It is in this moment. I am going to be the kind of person who celebrates people, makes them known, makes them feel loved. Is it true? It is in this moment. Was it true at 7.30 a.m. when my daughter was screaming at me? No. We're all working on some things. We're all a part of a transformative process for our own identities. What we believe about God shapes that process. All the different versions of ourself 
shape that process. All of the other people around us shape that process. For Paul, Saul of Tarsus, there was people in his life that he was trying to please in one version of himself. He needed letters from the high priest. He needed these other people to see that what he was doing was a good job. Later on, there's a version of Paul who needs Peter, James, and John to like him in a certain way. The point is that there's always these other factors that are influencing us, and there's always other people that we're influencing, but along the way, would we get curious in our journeys? Would you get curious with the self that brought you in today? And as you get curious with your identity today, what kind of questions are you asking yourself for who you want to invent yourself or create yourself to be for tomorrow? And as you want to create that version of your identity for tomorrow, what are some things that you can commit to? Maybe what you're committing to is just simply asking God for a little support. God, today I wanna be a great father. Today I'm a great father. Maybe just try that prayer out. I don't know, I don't know if I believe in prayer. Say it out loud anyways and see how it goes for you for a week. Maybe I'm gonna tell two friends, today I'm gonna be a great father. Today I'm gonna choose to be kind. Hey, today I wanna be kind, can I just text you about that and ask me how I'm doing a couple weeks later? Hey, I'm gonna talk about it with my smaller group. I'm gonna go to my therapist and just say, I am a great father. Oh man, how was Sunday at 7.30 a.m.? I wanted to kill a kid. We have the tools. We live in an incredible time and place in history where we can understand ourselves and get curious in a different way. We have incredible ability to create ourselves in, in a way that most other generations never even had the opportunity to do. What are some of the things that you could commit to? What are some of the actions that you could take to create an identity that you want to live into each and every day? You're gonna get back into those groups and you're gonna ask this question one another. Who do you want to be and what is your next step towards that identity? Solve that in six minutes, enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.